I don't think he'd been a shadow of his former self. And I think he tries to overanalyze because he's Pep Guardiola. I just don't understand how he's went from this world-class striker to a striker who can't even hit a band off. Jordan Rhodes is quite <laughs> literally ruined my football club. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Rematch podcast. I'm Ollie, your host this week, joined by Adam, Cam, Dan and Sam. Today we'll have a pep talk about Guardiola's new two-year contract. Is it deserved or not? We'll also assess one of his former clubs, Barcelona. They sit 12th in the Liga currently, so we'll be discussing the messy situation that's going on there. Then we'll be taking a look at individual player performances when we all pick out our flops of the season. And for this week's feature, we take a delve into our club's loan signings. Which loans give us the moans and which loans give us the groans? Make sure you're listening for all of this coming up on the Rematch podcast. So what have we been up to, lads? Well, to be fair, Ollie, I've actually had a pro- <laughs> bit of a <laughs> day. So basically, my girlfriend does fashion at uni, right? And as part of her course, she needs to picture a model in tailored suits. But because of the pandemic, they can't find any models that are available. So... What's happening is I'm going to have to go down to Newcastle with her. Up to Newcastle. Is it up to Newcastle? I bet it's up to Newcastle because I'm telling you. Of course it's up to of Newcastle. It's up. Come on. Right, up to Newcastle, right? I'm going to have to go and see this professional photographer who pictures the likes of Harry Styles and other very famous celebrities. And now she's going to have to picture me. So I was trying on suits earlier and stuff, right? And I realized I don't actually have a suit. So I've got what my prom one where the trousers obviously don't fit me at all because I was in like year 11. I've got a one that I had two years ago, but it's way too big for me now. So essentially I'm going to have to go with jeans and a suit jacket and just picture the top half. So I'm having a bit of a nightmare, really. Where was our our offer to do this um, modelling? I I did. I thought thought of Adam, to be fair. Do you know what I'm actually going to do with it, though? I'm, I'm going to make a calendar for my nana for Christmas. That is so vain. I know it sounds quite vain, doesn't it? It does. But normally, I'd get her a Cliff Richard one or a George Michael one or something like that. So oh, I'm not comparing myself to them too. <laughs> I really can't anymore. Do you think she'd enjoy it? I mean, <laughs> is that a bad Christmas present? Why don't you bring my calendar word. for I think she, she, you advertise <laughs> it as well. <laughs> she, she really likes Adam. She loves Adam's voice. And I, I think that she'd love a calendar of Adam. A <laughs> calendar? You, 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 you can't hear it. Voice is after a calendar. Right, I'll tell you what. We'll do a virtual calendar for another right. Yeah, yeah. January. Come <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you go January. I'll take January, mate. I'll take it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I've had a bit of a nightmare. And, uh, yeah, I'm a, bit, uh, I'm a bit worried. I don't know how to pause. <laughs> just, just keep your clothes on. Yeah. That's the last thing. Yeah, I think the carrot with you for cover. Give that to your nan for Christmas. <laughs> I don't want to know what you do with that. <laughs> we have to put 80 plus on this podcast. <laughs> Has anyone else been up to anything? I, I've, I've done bits, but it's nothing not as fun as yours, Dan, obviously. Done bits. Done bits. Done bits. What have you done? I had a meeting with an organisation called Jets, who just basically are like universal credit. Uh, that was pointless. I applied for a job at Farm Foods. Unbelievably, I got turned down for a job at Tesco. What have you been Tesco. up to, Adam? Uh, so, well, today I've um, 
I went on a on a jaunt to uh, my nearest McDonald's so I could try out the celebrations of McFlurry. That's what I did today. Oh, Sam, <laughs> Sam, what have you been up to? <laughs> I've uh, spent the past hour trying to get my Wi-Fi to work, Dan, to do this. And uh, I've also been to work Have you tried to turn it off and on again? Uh, several times, yeah, mate, but thanks for your expertise in this field. <laughs> Stick to modelling. <laughs> what, have you, Dolly? <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. Um, well, incredibly boring stuff. I've been reading extracts from Macbeth. What? Yes. Why? <laughs> I bet that was... Not one, yeah, the thing you was expecting to hear. <laughs> Not quite, no. no well, as part of this teaching programme thing, I have to um, answer some questions, and I realised I haven't read Macbeth in about six years. So I'm just trying to skim read it, but six I realised that didn't work. Yeah. Oh, damn, like that was and all that. The what? Oh, damn, that was When she gets the blood on her hand, doesn't it? She can't wash it off for I mean, I should probably know that, but I don't. I thought you said to me, what, spot the dog? <laughs> <laughs> That sounds more like that's my book. That's my type of book. Different shit. Different shit. Let's start with Pep Guardiola. The Manchester City manager has put pen to paper on a new two-year deal, which will see him through to 2023. We all know how good a manager he is and has been with his previous clubs, but is this really a deserve given their current league form and also the money he spent in his four years there? I think it's deserved. I think he will win your trophies. How many has he won trophies-wise now? Eight. Eight. Like, you think, what? he hasn't been there that long. And I know he's got, he's had the best squad in the Premier League for quite some time since he's been there. Every season he's been there, he's had the best squad in the Premier League. But eight trophies is no easy task in the Premier League and in the EFL. It's, it's very difficult to win those sorts of trophies, I think. But I know he's had the squad depths, like I said. But I do think that he's still... You think of the top managers in the world. At the minute, you've got to say Klopp. Mourinho's probably still up there. Um, Ancelotti, maybe. And these are all just in the Premier League. And then you've got Pep, I think. I, I can't really think of too many more managers that are better than him. And why the 13th in, in the league then, Dan? Why what, sorry? And why the 13th in the league? It's got the best Currently, be- because it's a very, very, very di- different sort of league. And I'm not underestimating the fact that he has really struggled this season. Something is really lacking with Man City. I can't, I can't put a finger on what it is, but I feel like it, it will click for him and they're not going to stay 13th. They, they will get there and thereabouts, I, I feel, I this can, season. I'm sorry, but how can something be lacking when he's spent, are you ready for this? In four years, he has spent £832 million. Pounds, a net spend of yes, £567 right. million. In this, okay. in this season alone, he spent £134 million. And he's 13th in the league, got, that's fine. You, uh, no, I'm not saying it's fine. and they, They'll won't think it's fine. If they stay there, then he should be sacked on the spot. But they're not going to stay there. They won't be that far off top, will they? Yeah, but they've spent. I'm sorry, but they've spent. Yeah, yeah no, I know, Adam, but like, we're nine games in, aren't we? Yeah, but over the last four years, they've spent nearer a billion than a million. Right. For, for and the, in fairness, the, and, and they've challenged absolutely every competition that they're in. They've not made it past the last day of the Champions League. They haven't win the league last season, yeah. which if you've been in that sort of sure money, you have to win the league every year. No, I don't, I don't agree. It doesn't work like that football. It's not all about money spent. It it's is. It's like £832 million. Pounds. Right. Okay, so what's the manager below spent? Well, Klopp's, in a, well, Klopp's in a net profit in his time at Liverpool. Or at least Klopp he was a brilliant the manager, this yeah. season. I know, but Klopp is an absolutely brilliant manager. So is Pep. But the problem is, 
Pep is, is the so. So you don't think Pep's a good manager? Is that what you said? Right now, in this second today, no, I don't. No, I, I don't I, think. I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd say he's had a, a difficult start to the season. He's like I said, something's not clicking for Man City at the minute. But I tell you what, when they turn on that switch, they can go twenty games unbeaten easily. Do you not think you could say that about a lot of teams in the Premier League, though? Do you think? I know you mentioned they'll be there and thereabouts, but is that good enough? Is 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 Premier League even good enough for money to spend? Or do they? Would you have expected them to win a Champions League by now? I'd have, I'd have definitely expected them to win a Champions League, but I, I feel they will. In, that's why they've given him a contract because they've got to give him a shot at the Champions League. And I think I think he'll get the shot, and I think he will win the Champions League with Man City. In terms of the Champions League with Man City, he's actually gone backwards though. When Manuel Pellegrini had them in the previous season before Pep Guardiola came in, they finished in the semi-finals. Of course, they were eliminated. Pep Guardiola, like Adam said, hasn't got past the last eight. Pep Guardiola was brought in to win Manchester City the Champions League. They've won league titles before. They've won trophies before. I'm not saying he's not a fantastic manager. Of course he is. He's the most successful ever City manager. I think that alone deserves him the new two-year contract, like Dan was saying. But in terms of the Champions League, I think he's I think he's failed massively. I think he was brought in to do a job for City in the Champions League. I don't think he's done it. I was surprised that they're not challenging right now though, because if you look at the front the front three, I think I think it was Mika Richards that pointed it out that that front three doesn't scare teams. When Aguero and Sterling and Bernardo Silva are playing, that they scare teams. But when it's Mares, Silva, uh, Jesus and Torres like Torres, from what I've seen, is a good. Seems like a good sign. He's obviously got a hat trick for Spain as well, and has done well for City. But he's not the. He's not a big name like Sterling Aguero, Bernardo Silva. So I was surprised that they're actually that they're not challenged. I'm not saying they should be in. That's a 13th position front three, but are we are we not surprised that they're not right up there with Liverpool and and Leicester and Spurs, who obviously beat them. I mean, this question is to all of you, but it's particularly to Dan. It's sort of related. If you look at the squad that Pep's got, who would you say in his time there, including the players that aren't there anymore, have been the best players under him? If you, if you had to pick three, who would you say that those three are? Pep's best three players. Is that what you're saying? Sorry, the yeah. connection. In, in, it, mm. in his time there, who's been the best three? Uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say Aguero's kept up his form despite being injured a lot. I think Aguero's been absolutely fantastic when he's played. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Company, David so we, Silva? I said, I said Sterling, personally. Yeah, Sterling's Sterling. been absolutely outstanding, yeah. I, I think Kyle Walker's got to be up there. Yeah. He's, I, I'd say, the thing is, when Pellegrini was there and Mancini was there, they all had money to spend. Every single one of them has spent money. That's what Man City are. They're a club based on money. So they've all done well with the squad because they've all won trophies. Not one of them has failed so far, I don't think, in my opinion. They've won, they've, a Man City fan can't really complain, do you know what I mean? If you're a Man City fan, you've got to be happy with the way things are going in the past decade. Of course you are, but I don't think that alludes to the fact that you can't scrutinise them. I mean, the 13th oh, in the table, absolutely. I haven't mentioned it before, but they're behind Man United, who we've all said before are having an awful start to the season. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is under mass criticism. Uh, Newcastle are only a point behind them. Steve Bruce, again, is under mass criticism. Newcastle fans are him saying they want him out. They're in a similar position to those sorts of clubs. Why isn't Pep Guardiola having the same sort of scrutiny? Well, I, I would just say that, that, you've, that we've mentioned players who've been the best under his time there. Um, we've said company, we've said David Silva, we've said Aguero, we've said Sterling. Did Pep sign any of those players? I don't think he did. He inherited all of no, them. But he, no, 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 no. But the thing is, he's improved them. 
He definitely yeah, so improved. Yes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to doubt that. But, but the, if we had to name players who have been the best under him, most of the three quarters of the people we said he already had, and he spent yeah. 860 million additionally. I yeah. will not mention the players that he's signing. So something's but, not so right what, there. So what you're getting at is poor recruitment, and I don't think that's directly down to Pep as well. I think they've overspent on a lot of players that Benjamin Mendy, for example. He's just what was yeah, he? Fifty-one even billion there? pounds. That's ridiculous. Like, but that's the thing is, you've got to think as well, Adam. He spent a lot of money, but that's because he has to spend a lot of money. Because clubs will know. Klopp doesn't. Klopp's won a Premier League and a Champions League without having to spend money. Or yeah, but, but net loss. Liverpool don't get taken for granted like Man City do. Everyone knows Man City are absolutely wadded. Everyone knows that. And they will scrape every penny they can out of them. And they always think we'll just overpay on everyone. But they have to sign players. They have to pay. Otherwise, no one's going to sell them. I think Mendy would have been a flop anyway if they bought him for 15 or 20 million. And to be fair, 50 million when he was at Monaco, it was probably not a too bad price. If you look at players that go for more than that or twice as much as that or three times as much as that nowadays, I don't think that's necessarily an inflated figure. I think there definitely is for some players, but I think I think we'd still be calling Mendy a flop if he went for half, half of what they paid for him. You look at the players that Pep Guardiola's brought in, um, especially defensive-wise, I think that's where we know that City are lacking with defenders. Just this season, he spent over £100 million on the defence, if you look at Ruben Diaz, Nathan Ake, those two alone, over £100 million. The likes of John Stones, he, bought, he brought him in his first season, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Where's, where's John Stones? He's nowhere near the fold. The amount of money they spent on him, I think it was £45-50 million. Pounds. Pep Guardiola should have improved him massively as a defender by this point. I mean, the, the players that he's improved, I'd argue, the sign, Adam mentioned that the best players that he's got are the ones that he already had before he came in. So the main two that I, I think he has improved, Carl Walker and Merrick Laporte, what about the rest of them? Does that mean he's wasted over £300 million on defence yeah. and a team that, that he doesn't, don't get into his team and he hasn't improved? That's surely poor management. Well, what I'd say is to that is Guardiola, we all know, is an attacking manager. He just His, his defence attacks, that's the sort of manager he is. He's never, even at Barcelona, when he was winning trebles and winning absolutely everything, his defence was still woeful. I mean, he had Puyol, he had Piquet, and they were still conceding loads of goals. But they just outscored teams. This season, they're not clicking up front. They're not scoring the goals. They're creating chances. You've seen it against Spurs the other day. I think it was 23 shots on target. Spurs had two. And then, do you know what I mean? 2 nil. the final score at Spurs. I think there's something that's just not working. I think they need Aguero back in the squad. Because for me, Jesus just doesn't do it. He's just, I, I, I don't see the hype over him at all. I don't think there is a hype over him anymore. He's just sort of diminished into this average striker. Danny Ings is better than him. He seems to get 15 to 20 goals a season, but I, I just can't remember any of the games he actually plays. It's almost like he just comes in. I would not get 15 to 20 goals oh. a season in that team. Genuinely. It's, That's a good it's question. Really... How many do you think you'd actually get in that Man City team? Oh, at the, at the minute, it's clearly not none because I don't know what's going on. But uh, in previous seasons, I'd have, I'd have said, I reckon I, I could have got five goals. I've taken one, to be honest. I'll, 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 say, I'll say two then. I'll say two. I'm probably said to get two. Being goal cards, that'd be very impressive. Oh, it's a fair. I'd probably get a game, wouldn't I? But I think the Guardiola debate, if you moulded him and Mourinho into one manager, you would have the most incredible manager ever. Going forward, spotless, defensively, spotless. 
it'd be ridiculous. It's just, for whatever reason, Man City haven't got a good defensive coach. I don't know why they haven't brought someone in, in the background who's just different gravy. So Guardiola signed a contract two years ago, which again was a two-year contract, the same as now. But do we think it's interesting that he has signed a two-year contract? Obviously, we manage, with managers, we see these massive bumper contracts where it's almost 2025, 2026 now. But do we think a two-year contract is more Guardiola's choice or do we think it's more caution from Man City just in case they do have to sack him and then eventually pay him off, which won't be that much if it's only uh, a two-year deal? I think that's a bit of both, really. I mean, I, I don't see the point in managers ever getting big contracts. Look at Pardew a few years back at Newcastle. What's the, <laughs> what, what, was the, what was the point? I mean, you think about that contract run out yet? <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, but I, I think that a two-year contract for a manager seems about right. It means you've got a, this, the rest of this season, and then you know in the back of your mind you're thinking, I can build for next season as well. That's all you need. You should never be building two years in advance. Yeah, I think Dan's exactly right. I think it's a short-term deal that will suit both Man City and Pep Guardiola. Uh, the only thing I would say is that limits his chance for, uh, for European success. Sorry, um, We've mentioned before that Pep Guardiola, we believe to be um, successful from here on now, is that he's got to do something more in the Champions League with Man City. Um, he's 13th in the league currently. If he doesn't finish in the top four and he doesn't do it this season, that means he's got one chance to do it. Yeah, and a lot of pressure's on. But I think, I'm going to say it now, I think Man City will win the Champions League within the next two years. I mean, to be fair, I mean, they have been unlucky at times. I mean, I think it was that, was it, was it Monaco in, in the last 16 a couple of years ago? And they, were, yeah. they, had, they, had, they had torrid luck in that game. And sometimes that's, that, that's how it goes. But when it's... Spurs when it last year. Oh, that's when they got knocked out last year, wasn't it? Against Spurs with the VAR no, decision. It was, decisions. Yeah, yeah. It was oh. Leon last year. It was Leon last year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah that's right. Important. I mean, I mean, thanks, Dan. Spurs in their Champions League final before Man City have. I mean, how's that? <laughs> how's that possible? Yeah. Well, again, it, it, it's all about. <laughs> so it's League. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shot myself in the foot now. He's a good manager. He's a bald good manager. All right. It's 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 fine margins that have knocked Man City out of the Champions League pretty much every season. Yeah, there should be seen teams off. Leon last year. I remember that game now. They should have absolutely destroyed them. But they just missed it. Sterling missed an absolute howler on the line, didn't he? Just them little fine margins that are preventing Man City winning the Champions League. But I'm telling you now, they will win one. I mean, you I say it's fine margins, though, but it's been five fine margins, sorry, Adam, for four or five years now, hasn't it, with Man City? When does that start to become an actual problem and not just, oh, it's an excuse we got beat by fine margins? It doesn't really count. Well, yeah, this is the thing. You've got to look at what Bayern Munich are doing. And Bayern Munich are just hammering teams, seeing them off comfortably. Man City, they've got to work on the defence if they see teams off properly because they're letting too many, considering way too many chances. And I think on that front, Guardiola needs a bit of help in, in his uh, staff department from a defensive coach. I've said, I've said everything that I've said and it's been quite anti-pet, but I, I'm not trying to say he's not a world-class manager because he has... He has revolutionised the game of football in the last 15 years. When you look at him in that Barcelona team, and, that, and that's still having an effect on the way football's played now at all levels. And you see teams right at the bottom trying to play that way and, and they just can't do it and they get you know embarrassed almost. But that was 12 years ago. And now to still refer to him as this elite world-life manager based on what he did 10, 12 years ago, I don't think is right. Well, perhaps even... Bit less than that. He won the Champions League with Bayern Munich in 2013, didn't he? So perhaps going back 
seven years and he has won back-to-back league titles in England. But right now, in the past 12, 18, 24 months, I don't think he'd been a shadow of his, of his former self. And I think he tries to almost overanalyze and try and put too many little needless tactics into games because he's Pep Guardiola. And he, he, he doesn't need to. If he just puts out a team which he's bought with, again, £832 million and just tells it to play well, it'll probably just play well on its own. I don't, it's, he doesn't need to do all these... I mean, that's why I lost a Leon game in the Champions League. Football doesn't work like that. Football doesn't work like that. You can't just put a team out and say, win the game. Well, I mean, that's me dumbing it right down. But in the same way, you can't win that Leon game where your favourites to win. If you tell your players to play well, they'll win the game. As you said, they'll absolutely bat their opposition. But instead, Pep will try these weird little tactics and formations in the game in certain areas of the pitch and it'll just not work. It didn't work. Only thing is if he tries to complicate it too much. Like, sometimes you just see decisions and think, there's so much, almost, not basic, but something you should be doing. I'm not telling Pep Guardiola what to do, but you have to wonder if sometimes it does go in his head that I have to try and think of something different here to make myself yeah. look like this, this genius manager. And Exactly that. I, I, I do still think he's world-class and I don't think he's living off that season with Barcelona. I think the last Champions League he won was 2011 now. He's obviously had that season with Man City where he got 100 or 101 points and if if they can get that type of form back, I know it's going to be hard with obviously increased composition in the league, but if they can get that back then there's no reason why Pep, Pep can't prove why he's a world-class manager again. It's just under five and a half years since Barcelona last won the Champions League, beating a strong Juventus team in Berlin 3-1, helping them complete the treble. However, after a couple of years of discontent in Catalonia, the wheels have well and truly fallen off for Barca. After a summer of speculation about Starman Lionel Messi's contract, Ronald Koeman's side sit in 12th place, four points off the relegation zone and 12 points off the leaders. Most recently, Barcelona travelled to the Spanish capital and lost 1-0 to Atletico Madrid. So what is going wrong at Barcelona? Everything. Absolutely everything. There are shambles from top to bottom. The speculation over the summer really didn't help. The president, absolutely disgraceful, man. He's absolutely awful, (laughs) to say the least. He's riddled the club. He's destroyed Messi. Absolutely destroyed him. I watched uh, the Atletico game the other day. There was a chance where... Probably the only chance of the game for Barcelona. Oh, they had probably two good chances. But Messi, players, got, yeah. Messi got played one-on-one with the keeper. Normally, you'd have Suarez and a couple of scenes ago, you'd have Neymar floating around for him to square it easy. He had absolutely no one to pass to and he had to try and get it past the keeper from an impossible angle. That just sums it all up. They do not have a clue. They've signed Griezmann, a player who's just... I've never seen someone so less suited to a Barcelona in all my life. He has done nothing since he's been there. He literally he scored a goal in his debut and threw some sparkles up in the air, and that was the last thing that's happened. He disappeared under the sparkles. <laughs> so I couldn't agree with you more, Dan. To be honest, uh, maybe so not so much about the sparkles of Griezmann doing nothing, but uh, <laughs> I just wanted to talk about the Atletico game. And so, and I've got some stats here, um, which you can listen to right now. Atletico boss Diego Simeone failed to win his last seventeen meetings in the league against Barcelona, drawing six and losing 11, and was winless against two opponents in the competition, obviously now only one, and that team is racing de Santander. Um, Also, Atletico Madrid had also failed to win their last 20 La Liga matches against Barcelona, drawing six and losing 14. 
Uh, only against Real Madrid have they suffered a longer such run in the competition. And Barca have only won one of their last five games in the league now. So it truly is worrying times. Uh, I actually wanted to take us back in time. I wanted to look at when I thought the last great Barcelona squad was. So I picked out the last time they won the Champions League, of course, which is in 2015. So I went back and looked at that team um, and made some observations from it. So the team that started against Juventus was De Sagan in goal, Danny Alves, Gerard Piquet, Javier Mascarano, and Jordi Alba in the back four. Uh, in the midfield, it was Ivan Rakitic and Sergio Busquets with Iniesta just ahead of them. And then up front, Lionel Messi, Luis Suarez, and Neymar, the famous MSN. Um, and then I compared that to the team that played against Atletico. And, and feel free to stop me if you think I'm wrong, but I also picked out the players I thought were either better or worse than the current, or, or if this, the current crop of players was worse than the team that played in the Champions League final. So, of course, De Stegen was in goal, who made the mistake for the goal, albeit Atletico probably should have still won the game anyway. Um, obviously, he is the same player, although he was only 22 when he joined. So you could argue that he's improved. Uh, at right back was Sergio Roberto, of course, not an upgrade on Danny Alves. I think we'd all agree. PK played, even though he, he did go off injured in the second half. Uh, Clement Longley, who, again, maybe is a tough one because he's still quite young, but I would still argue Mascarano is still a better better player, or at least has definitely has a lot more experience. And Jordi Alba obviously played. In midfield, it was Muriel Pjanic and Frankie de Jong. I would argue that neither of them would get in ahead of Rakitic, Busquets or Iniesta. Xavi was also on the bench um, in the Champions League final and came on for Iniesta. I would argue that, he's, that neither of those two are better than the, the four that I've just named there. Uh, Usmane Dembele and Pedri started. Again, I would argue that obviously Messi played down the centre, but I would argue neither of them are an upgrade on Neymar. And uh, Antoine Griezmann, who obviously Dan mentioned before, is definitely not better than Luis Suarez, apart from at celebrations. Um, so I just wanted, to, <laughs> so, I, so I just want, so obviously only four, um, four players out of that starting eleven plus Busquets are still there at the minute, and they've had three managers since Luis Enrique left: Valverde, uh, Setien, and Coman. I hope I've pronounced the second one right. And the formation seemingly has changed as well. So, do we think that? the problem is just quality of players at Barcelona or is it deep-rooted like Dan mentioned uh, with the president or even the manager? There's a big problem of club identity with Barcelona now obviously there was that period for 15 years where we associate them with this tiki-taka football quick transitions and it's it's just not there anymore. Um, I'm not sure Kerman was the right appointment to be honest. I know it's it seems like a a straightforward thing to say about a person who's gone Xavi, someone who gets the club, someone who's who's done quite well in management. I know it's a, not a, not a great league, but it's still done well nonetheless. Um, like Dan said, it it starts from the top. I think they're quite close to bankruptcy now. They're in massive debt. If they miss out on the Champions League, then then that's going to have huge implications on the future of the club. Uh, I suppose the only real positive is they've actually got some genuinely good talent in that squad that a, a manager could work with. You're looking at Trincao, Pedri, Ansu Fai, Dest, and even someone like Usman Dembele, who cost a lot of money and has been there for a few years now. He's like qu- looked quite good uh, recently. And he's they, them players have got peers. They could definitely work on the quick transitions. And it's just about finding that manager who can work with this group of players. And I'm not, I'm not sure Ronald Koeman's that man. Mm. Yeah, I think the problem is what you mentioned there, really, Ollie. That 
they've the, the whole squad was brilliant when they were in the prime. They were winning Champions Leagues when you had your Xavi's, your Iniesta's, etc. But then that squad aged, and then it got to a point where right we need to cash in on these players, or they're going to retire. A lot of them did retire at Barcelona, but there was then all of a sudden you replace him with a really young player, but he's not ready. There's no transition period like giving the young players chances. Uh, there's like Alenia and uh, Pedri they've just signed. They should have signed players like that a couple of seasons ago, really. And then sort of brought them in and let them um, replace the Xavi's and Iniesta slowly learn from them. But no, they've just shot them in the deep end and now they're struggling and they're sad they're struggling. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to have catastrophic effects on their careers, really. I mean, I just want to kind of bring a bit of balance to this, actually, because if you look at where they are in the table, the 12th in the Liga, yeah, OK, that's not where we'd expect Barcelona to be at this stage, the great Barcelona. But they've scored 15 goals, the same as Real Madrid. They've played one less game as them. One win in the fifth. I don't think it's as doom and gloom as it's perceived to be. I'm not saying there's a problem. Of course there is. And I think the reasons that we've said before don't, uh, sorry, make sure that there is a problem. But let's remember, Atletico Madrid aren't a bad side. Bad side, sorry, they're unbeaten uh, this season in the Liga. They've been in a Champions League final more recently than Barcelona. Just because they lost this one game doesn't mean that suddenly Barcelona are off the rifts. It's a massive problem. I think Oli mentioned it before that Ronald Koeman perhaps wasn't the right manager to go for. I'd probably agree with that. His last league title was in 2007 with PSV. He struggled with Everton in his second season. Big Sam, of course, had to come in to help rescue Everton from relegation. And when he went to manage the Netherlands, they were runner-up in the Nations League final against a weaker Portugal side. Yes, perhaps Ronald Koeman isn't the right manager at the time for Barcelona, but that's the manager they've gone with. Back him in the transfer market, I think Barcelona's main problem really is the strength in depth. You look at the bench, you've got the likes of Martin Braithwaite on there. I mean, me and Dan oh, both on at Middlesbrough, he's not the best started. player, is he? So, if, you, if you've got a Middlesbrough reject on your bench, then I think you're always going to struggle. Invest in your squad. We mentioned about the treble winning side. I think it's always going to be worse five seasons after when you've won the treble. You're not going to have the same squad as you did then. Invest in your side. Let's get some better players in the squad. Have that squad rotation, that strength, that strength in depth. And I think you'll see Barcelona rocket up the table. One win in the fifth. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I've got the research to, to back both yours and Dan's points up about the transfers. So what confuses me is the signing Real and Pjanic for €60 million. Euros. Yes, they sold Arta for 72 to Juventus going the other way. But if they're so bankrupt, like Ollie mentioned, do you think that if they're going for a new direction where they've signed Trincao this summer, Dest, Matthias Fernandes and Pedri, all for the same, well, for just over what they paid for Pjanic, do you not think they would be better off keeping that 60 million to spend on more young players or just to stop them potentially going bankrupt? But I compared this season's spending, of course, more difficult this year to spend money because of COVID. But um, I compared the spending to what they did in the 14 15 season. They did all their business in the summer. And that was obviously the season they signed Luis Suarez, who was their mar- the marquee signing 81 million euros. But what you mentioned there, Sam, is about depth. And Valdez and Puyol actually retired or Valdez went to Manchester United should I say and Puyol retired so obviously two big players they had to replace you know what the, the Barcelona team of 2014 did they went and signed to Stegen for 12 million euros and Bravo for 12 million euros so they signed a, a player that was going to play in the league in Bravo and then to Stegen got experienced by playing in every cup game in every Champions League game and obviously played in the final as well and that obviously set him in good stead um, for the next five or so years. They also signed Matthew and Vermaelen for a combined £38 million. And yes, 
Vermaelen was 28 at the time, FA was 30. But they both came in with experience to replace Puyol. Yes, they maybe weren't the quality, but they were very similar types of players. And um, Mifeu had obviously played in the Liga as well. I think they signed him from Valencia. So that is what the old Barcelona used to do, even though only maybe Luis Suarez is classed as, or at the time was classed as a world-class player here. And obviously it's signed Rakitic as well. Um, that's what the old Barcelona did. They signed not just one player to replace a player or a young player to replace an aging player. They signed two players just in case they got it wrong. And I don't think in the example of Mafeu and Vermaelen, I don't think either of them played that much. But, but that's because they already had Mascarano. They already had depth. And this season, they don't have depth. If you look at, like I say, the signs this year, Pjanic, 60 million euros. Trincao, 31 million euros. Dest, 21 million euros. Mafeu Fernandez, who I'd not even heard of, 7 million euros. And Pedri, 5 million euros. The best signing out of those is the one that costs 5 million euros. The one that's broken to the team, that's Pedri. It's, it's a bit ridiculous at the minute. And, and I don't understand the direction. Like I say, the direction for me would obviously look like they're going towards young players. However, they signed a 30-year-old Pjanic for 60 million euros. just doesn't make sense to me. Well, one of their aging players, though, is obviously Messi. And the speculation surrounding him is, is deafening, really. It's, um, I mean, what, if you were Messi... What would you do? Because I know what I'd do. I'd, I'd, I'd jump ship, ship now and try my luck with Man City. It, it depends. I, I, I've, I was thinking about this earlier, actually, and I thought maybe I'd just retire or, or go back to Argentina. No, what? You can't because, retire. Because nah. of the, no, no, but at the end, yeah. No, yeah, no, no. Come on, come on, come on. Lionel just, Messi, like, what, I, I'm gonna, the, the, the greatest time. footballer of all time cannot retire and be replaced by Martin Braithwaite. He's got to have a big send-off. Come on. That's, that's not happening. That's, that's not the problem, though. Are Barcelona going to give him that big send-off? Because at the minute, they don't seem like... Maybe two or three years ago, they seemed like the club that was going to give him that big send-off. Maybe he was going to win a Champions League. Could have potentially win a World Cup with Argentina or a Copa America, a Copa America with Argentina. But that, none of that looks like it's happening. That big, that big finale doesn't seem to be there, unfortunately. And like I say, if we're looking at the signs that they're making, they're signing young yeah. players for five years not signing players like they did a few years ago to come in now. So there's no, there's no clear direction. And I think Messi sees that. So if I was him, it, unless I felt like I still had another five or six years, if I felt like I only had two years of being a top player, then I'd definitely consider retiring him. Yeah. I wouldn't retire. I, don't, I, don't, I think it's just talking about the quality to, to not retire. I mean, he's, he, he could play in the Prem very easily. Could, he could, but would he want to? Because like I say, he is Mr. Barcelona at the end of the day. Yes, a couple of seasons ago, I'd have said, oh, yeah, stay at Barcelona mm. your whole career, retire there and play perfectly like that. But what do you think? I mean, he's 33 years old. I'm not sure how many years he's going to have left in him, especially with the amount of fouls that he has to endure per game. He gets hacked down an awful lot, doesn't it? That's going to take its toll on him. I think game management's crucial. You can't play him in every game if you're the Barcelona manager. You have to maybe rest him for a midweek game that's difficult though, isn't it? Because that's maybe Champions League games. I'd stay at Barcelona until the end of the season, see where you are. If you're in the Champions League with Barcelona, I think he stays. If you're not, and it's a big if, because let's be honest, it's Barcelona. We expect them to be in the Champions League. If they're not there, then I think he's got a big decision to make. Adam? You've not said much, Adam. If you was Messi, what would you do? Oh, what would do I you know do? who Messi is? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's second best football in the world, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, the thing is, I mean, what's he got left to prove at Barcelona? He hasn't got anything that he can do that he's not already done, has he really? Um, mm. I guess it depends what, mo- what, what motivates him the most. And um, going off his, off his personal record, I'd <laughs> say it's money. So <laughs> <laughs> I think his next move is probably <laughs> the most. I think you can see in his, his quotes in the media that he's definitely fed up of everything. He says that everything that, that happens that's wrong with Barcelona ends up being put on his shoulders. And I think it's just a mentality problem at the club. One thing I've found really amateurish after that Atletico game was, was the amount of pressure on the squad at the moment and the club as a whole. And the only player that they actually sent out to face the media was 17-year-old Pedri. Like, I know that he's, he's old enough to play, but surely you shouldn't be sending out a 17-year-old to come and face them tough questions about not, not, not just the game, about the club, club as a whole. Surely the experienced players like Messi are or Pete and Pico is injured, but the, them experienced players should come out and say something. So it's clear to see that Barcelona don't have a clear direction for the future, whether that's going for youth or still signing these experienced, seemingly world-class players. And we clearly don't have an idea what Messi should do either. So I think Barcelona at the minute have just got to get a new president. They've got to get a new manager, seemingly. Ronald Koeman doesn't seem like we all back him at least. And... Personally, for me, they should keep signing young players for the future and just hope that they come good in five years. President Trump's free. Hey, he builds a wall to the back. He build a wall to the back, <laughs> wouldn't he? There you go. That's how you stop conceding. So, a couple of weeks back, we spoke about uh, Diego Jota and how he'd obviously come to Liverpool and set the world alight. But today, I just fancied talking a little bit about flops. Quite the opposite. So, which players have... They've not been maybe signed this summer, but have, have we expected more from in the Premier League this season and just haven't got it? So I'll kick things off with uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So he's obviously signed a big contract in the summer and this season he's been terrible for me. He's had eight shots on target all season. I know they've only played nine games and even in the Europa League, this, this includes it. So he's had eight shots in all competitions on target. For a striker of Aubameyang's quality, I just don't understand how he's went from this world-class striker to a striker who can't even hit a band off. It's a real shame, I think, as well. Arsenal don't seem to be supplying him with the goods, don't get me wrong. But for a striker of his quality, he should be making chances for himself, I feel. So he's my flop of the season. I don't think it helps that Arsenal started playing him on the left at the beginning of the season. I think it was against Fulham that he actually played well on the left. But ever since then, I don't think he's had the quality or the attributes to play in that position. Um, he started off with Lacazette, Willian and Aubameyang, didn't they, in a, in a front three. And it almost suited Arsenal and it seemed, it seemed to work initially. But ever since that Fulham game, I don't think Aubameyang has shown that he's got the attributes to play on the left-hand side. I don't know if you agree, Dan. But, um, I don't, I don't, I don't agree because he's played last season when Arteta took over. He started playing on the left straight away. And I think that's when he's playing his best football when Arteta came in. And in fact, they won the FA Cup. And the Community Shield, and he was the star in both games, coming from that left-hand side. I think that's maybe suited to him a little bit, but I just don't feel like... I feel like there might be a bit of pressure on him now. He's took over captaincy, hasn't he? And obviously the big contract. And he's just not doing it for me. And I, Don't be wrong, he could prove me completely wrong, and I hope he does, because I really like the guy, and he's absolutely fantastic footballer. But he's got to do a lot more, and it's just been a huge shame to see him really struggling for a goal this season. No, I think Marshall could have been listed for the majority of time in England over the last four seasons. But I'm going to go with Paul Pogba. I just question if he actually cares enough. He has this odd game where 
you question yourself and think maybe he is world class, but then he just goes missing again and suddenly we start hearing from his agent about how he wants to leave the club again. Jose Mourinho received a lot of criticism at the time from calling calling out Paul Pogba in the media whilst at Man United. But I think when you see the way that someone like Tange and Dombele has played this season and the criticism he's received from Mourinho in the past, he's performing exactly how Paul Pogba should be. I know that a lot of Man United fans are expecting, I know they've expected this every year, but this year in particular with the midfield they've got now, they expected this to be the year that Pogba was finally going to build that potential on a consistent basis. But I think with the form of Bruno Fernandes since signing and the eventual integration of Donny van der Beek into that starting eleven, I think it would probably be best for both parties if Pogba moved on in either January or the end of the season. Now. I don't think anyone could disagree with that. Yeah, he has been a flop, and not just that, the price tag as well. I think everyone at the time is very surprised. And and like you say, he's not done it. And every, every, it's not just not just this year, but every year, every year, someone or sorry, Man United fans hope and expect whoever's managing at the time to to get something out of him, and and no one has. And there's been so many different types of managers. You look at, you know, Mourinho and, and Solskjaer, they're so different, and and no one's got the best out of him. And like I said, I think it, I don't know who, where he goes next, to be honest, because I don't think he, I don't think he stops at Man United much longer. Well, kind of similarly to Ollie's, I'm going to go with someone who's. Potentially not really been at it for the, next, for the last three or four years. And Danny Drinkwater. Um, <laughs> <laughs> something funny. It's just like Pierre Emerick Paul Pogba, Danny Drinkwater. There well, we go. Well, which one of those people has won a Premier League title? It's it's a fair point. It's yeah, I should have done. Yeah. I mean, granted that that season at Leicester might have been a one-off because you could question his ability either side of that really. Never played for Manchester United, had, lo- had various loans at Championship clubs, Huddersfield, Cardiff, I think he was at Watford for a bit as well. You know, didn't pull up any, any trees, so to speak, at any of those places. Settled in at Leicester, OK, and somehow owned himself a move to Chelsea. I mean, I, it, perhaps other people thought he'd do well. I certainly didn't think he'd do well at Chelsea. Um, the loans at Burnley and Villa, which I can't remember at all. I mean, I don't know if you can remember them happening, but that's one of those things that you're thinking, did that really happen? Didn't play more than four games for either of them. And I, th- I think this season, not even named in the, in the Premier League squad, I think, I think Frank Lampard's told him to not even bother to turn, up, turn up, up the training anymore, which is kind of sad to see. And he's had a few personal issues off the pitch, and I hope the two things aren't related. But at the same time, he's not at all since he left Leicester. He's, his career's gone in the complete opposite direction to the way you would have thought and the way that he would have wanted. Do we actually think there's a good player in there in Danny Drinkwater? Or do we actually think that in that one season at Leicester, he was carried... By Angolo, can can they actually that good enough to carry someone and then earn them a move, a thirty million pound move to? Simple as that. Yes, he was definitely carried that season. If you think back now, you don't really remember him as a standout. I actually forgot he was in that Leicester side when he when he won the league. So I'd agree with you, Adam. I I think he's been a huge. I wouldn't even say a flop. He's just been. He's just not that good. I think that's harsh. Personally, I thought he was really good in that season with Leicester. Um, the moves haven't worked out to Chelsea, and probably not when you've got the, the talent that Chelsea have got and likes of Kante moving on to Chelsea at the same time, maybe a season or so in it actually, thinking about it. But Danny Drinkwater in that season with Leicester was a good footballer. Um, like Adam said, he's had a few problems off the pitch and hope, like he said, it hasn't hindered his footballing ability. But um, He was good at hitting it long to Vardy. It worked though, didn't it? Yeah, and I'm not saying it didn't, but that was all he was good at, isn't it? He's just an overrated Lewis Wing. So I've, I'm about to throw a bit of a curveball, and some may say I've broken the rules here, but 
I say I really enjoyed writing and researching it, so I don't care. Um, but, <laughs> but my but my flop of the season or flop of this this year potentially is uh, is Sheffield United. <laughs> um, so, so 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 as you can <sighs> see, I've got to take some enjoyment out of this with my own team sitting in the bottom three. Um, but Sheffield United currently sit bottom of the Premier League after nine games with one point. Only two other teams have ever had this lower points total after nine games, and that was Manchester City in 1995-1996 and uh, Sheffield Wednesday in 1999-2000, both of whom were relegated. Uh, the Blades were looking to build on a superb first season back in the Premier League, with Chris Wilder stating that this was their best transfer window ever. Some Blades fans clearly aren't happy with this, with Blades Mad on Twitter writing a thread about their transfers. So they stated that Ollie McBurney, um, who they bought for 17 million, Luke Freeman, 5 million, Callum Robinson, 7 million, Ben Osborne, 3.5 million, Ravel Morrison on a free, and Phil Jagielk on a free are not good enough. This, of course, is starting from last summer when they obviously were promoted to the Premier League. Uh, Jack Robinson, undisclosed fee, Oliver Burke, 5.8 million, and Jaden Bogle, 3.5 million, aren't used enough currently in the current squad. And Aaron Ramsdale, 18.5 million. Sander Burge, 21.6 million. Rian Brewster, 23.4. And Max Lowe, 3.5 million. Are all young and need to improve, but aren't quite good enough at the minute. So this is well over £100 million spent after arriving in the Premier League, um, with the majority being spent this season. And the Blades are still looking short in midfield, with, this, with them set to lose John Lundstrom as well at the end of the season. And currently, the strikers are struggling. Obviously, they spent £17 million on McBurney, £23 million on Brewster, and neither of them have hit the ground running at the start of this season. And Ramsdale struggled to pick up where Dean Henderson left off, as well as no replacement for Jack O'Connell at centre-half, who's out for a long-term injury. He's going to miss most of the rest of the season. Some may ask why I didn't pick Burnley for this. Obviously, Burnley are a slightly more established Premier League team. Obviously, they have won tonight as we record this. I originally did write that they'd obviously not won a game, um, but they have now moved up onto four points. But at the end of the day, Burnley spent £1 million this summer on Dale Stevens. Sheffield United have been backed far more in the past two years, with Sean Dyche only being allowed to spend £17 million last summer as well. Um, so this doesn't look good for Chris Wilder. I'm not saying he's a bad manager at all. He's probably the best Blades manager in their history and they should definitely stick with him. But I think a lot of Sheffield United fans are very, very worried at the minute. Are we in the championship by the time you finish talking? <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I, did say, I did say, Dan, I enjoyed researching it. I just couldn't stop. It's quite interesting, if you're fair, Cam, because I very nearly did yeah. the exact same thing as you. And I very nearly Is did it? Sheffield. Very, honestly, wow. I, I, I nearly did actually. Uh, granted, I wouldn't have gone into quite much, much detail as you. But, yeah. um, think, <laughs> but the thing Chris Wilder is that, is that like, for me, last season, he managed to get a, a championship side into mm-hmm. the top half of the Premier League because that's what that's, that, that starting 11 was. It was, a, it was a good championship side. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. a Premier League team, which I think shows how good a manager Chris Wilder is that he managed to get that side into the top half of the Premier League. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's one of the things that's never, it's never going to always last, is it, if you've not got the... The quality, and yes, he has spent a bit. He's not spent a lot. He has spent a bit, but again, you look at the crux of that of that team. Like someone like George Bulldog, for example, I think he's a fantastic player. He's not a Premier League footballer. He was good in League One with Oxford and MK Dons. He's not a Premier League player. And there's others. I don't want to just say him, but like Chris Basham mm-hmm. was in Sheffield United, was with in League One with Sheffield United, and he's not a bad player. But he's not a Premier League player. I think they're always going to get found out eventually. 
Um, I think his part was a bit earlier than some thought, but I think that's a good shout. Mm. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right when you say I think that Chris Wilder got a top half championship team to to finish top half in the Premier League, which is an incredible achievement. But I think at the minute, I think some would argue that's a, a bottom half Premier League team, and not only in the bottom half, but the bottom of the league. So, yeah. and and I, and I would still argue that they have spent quite a lot of money. I think they spent fifty six million this summer, which obviously is a lot. More comp- the likes of Burnley, who they're directly competing with at the minute for relegation, they spent £1 million. Pounds. You know, it's it's grim reading. And, I, I, and I'm not too worried from just yet, but I think if I was, I think if I was a Blades fan, I'd be, I'd be pretty worried. So I think mine's probably one of the most obvious flops, but I still think it needs mentioning. It's a £40 million pound signing from Hoffenheim in the name of Joe Linton. We had a reasonably good season, seven goals and seven assists in 28 matches in the league. It was brought in to add goals to Newcastle's front line. Two goals and two assists later, the Magpies then had to fork out another £20 million to buy a proven Premier League goal scorer in Callum Wilson, his form, who was signed from recently relegated Bournemouth. He's already netted six times this season, three times more than Joe Linton did in 38 fewer games, or to put that another way, an entire Premier League season. I think flop might even be slightly too kind. I think that Joe Linton looked slightly better. When you look to the Newcastle bench, you see that Andy Carroll is his immediate replacement. And Andy Carroll used to be a really good, really good player, I think. And I think mm-hmm. his £35 million Liverpool price tag was probably not quite ever lived up to. But that was eight years ago, I think, or 2012 when he signed to Liverpool, I think it was. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's at the end, he's at the later stage of his career, Andy Carroll, and he's, and he's suffered with injuries, I think you can tell. I think that when Joe Linton's one up in the pecking order, when Steve Bruce looks at the bench and sees Andy Carroll, suddenly you think that Joe Linton's probably better than he is. So for the feature this week, let's talk about attachment. In the words of the famous Yoda, attachment leads to jealousy. Leads to jealousy. The, the shadow, shadow of greed. greed that that is. is. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. So boys. Linking that to football, I want to know your club's best signings that you got attached to, and also your worst signings as well. So let's so, start off with the best signings. All right, well, even though I support what is now a fifth-tier National League side, Notts County have had quite a few decent loan signings over the last 10 years or so. I'm just going to read out a few names that we've had. Um, Matt Ritchie, Kevin McDonald, Nico Yanaris, uh, Ender Stevens, Josh Vela, Mark Bowler, Ryan Yates. I mean, none of them are really, really top quality players, but from League One, League Two, as we were then, they're not bad. I mean, I don't think any of them quite beat Delhi had a bowler, but the two I actually want to pick out <laughs> are two we had in the 13 uh, 14 season. In the same season, Jack Grealish and Conor McGregor. And Conor McGregor. <laughs> 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 You're really fighting for the title in that year. Oh, oh, no. That's, that's going to stay in, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. that's devastating. Jack Grealish and Callum McGregor on loan from Villa and, uh, and Celtic. And I think the fact they've only had one loan in their career so far says how well they did at Notts. They came back from Notts and were straight into their first teams of their respective clubs. And I mean, Grealish were on about in the last week's podcast, he said he, he, he should be one of the first people on the team sheet for England. Callum McGregor, people saying the same thing in Scotland. They're going to play against each other in the Euro next season. I think six, six years ago, they were playing in a side that stayed up on the last day of the season in League One as well, somehow. It was a fantastic squad. She'd never been in that much trouble. But we could tell, even though Jack Grealish was 17 then, knew he was going to be a fantastic player because he absolutely tore League One defences to, to, 
shreds. <laughs> shreds, I mean, tall League One defences to shreds. So the player that I picked out for Borough's best loan is a more recent uh, loan signing, and that's Patrick Bamford. I loved him so much that during the 14-15 season, he was the name and number that I got on the back of my shirt. He was championship player of the season, netting 17 goals and 38 appearances in the league. Uh, he left, joined Palace, Norwich and then Burnley. All of those loan signings didn't really work out for him. So he joined back permanently for Borough in 2017. Um, his goals fired us into the playoffs in the 17-18 season. But Pulis then sold him to Leeds, unforgivably in my opinion, and kept us on longer instead. Uh, one now has seven goals in the Premier League this season. The other has one goal in the Championship. I'll let you decide which striker Pulis perhaps should have kept. Uh, so Sheffield Wednesday have had plenty of loans in the past 10 or so years and a few of them have made permanent and generally they were the best ones. So I've not picked any of them. I've only picked loan players that haven't been made permanent. So we've never seen again, unfortunately. So special mentions to Jacob Murphy, who was with his last season, Federico Venancio in the 17-18 season, Connor Wickham in the 13-14 season, not last season, he was terrible, and Ross Barkley in the 12-13 season. They were all fantastic players for us. However, my pick of the bunch is probably our best centre-back uh, since the turn of the millennium, and that's Michael Hector. Uh, he joined in 2018 on loan from Chelsea, and I was given rave reviews by Oli Burdett about his giving away of penalties and just shoddy defending for Hull the year before. So I, was very, I must say I was very worried. However, by the end of the season, he was clear fans player of the year. He won the vote by an absolute landslide. I think he was 26%. Um, the, next, or the next player was 26% of the votes behind him. And he was just standout, even under Steve Bruce, when we turned a form around. He was by far the best player. He could ping a pass 20 yards, 40 yards, 80 yards if you needed him to and he even stepped up and scored a penalty on the final day against QPR as well which was a nice send-off for him. So Patrick Bamford was a great signing and fired us into the playoffs twice. However, one guy who got us single-handedly promoted in my opinion was Gaston Ramirez. He signed on loan from Southampton and honestly he was just way too good for the championship. Free kicks, he was awesome at honestly. Scored one against Huddersfield. It was ridiculous. He was, he just had a bit of everything about him. Bit of grit, bit of personality. Personality, uh, <laughs> it wasn't great in the end because slid into the DMs of, uh, well, a Borough fan, let's, uh, but we'll leave that bit. Um, I don't know this story. Know Can that. you uh, tell me a bit more? What? I don't know this story. Ah, so the reason that his wife wanted him to move to Leicester so badly was because he, she wanted him to get out of Middlesbrough because he would slid into this this girl's DMs on Instagram saying, are you single? And her reply was, yes, but you're not. And screenshotted uh, an image of his marriage certificate or something like that. No, 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 no a Wikipedia page, not the marriage yeah. certificate. <laughs> 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 Great detective work, that. <laughs> How's you managed to find a copy of that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she screenshotted that and sent it over. And uh, he was never the same player after that. But he's cracking in the championship. Oh, it's unbelievable. So, because Liverpool make very little loan signings, I'm going to go with a whole option and go for Theresa Campbell. The striker joined the Tigers as a 20-year-old back in October 2007 on a three-month loan deal. After impressing Phil Brown, the move was eventually extended until the end of the season. Campbell would finish the campaign as top scorer with 15 goals in 37 games, 
However, his most important contribution was assisting Dean Windows' volley at Wembley to take hold to the Premier League. The club did everything they could to tempt Campbell back to Hull, but for some strange reason, he wanted to remain with recent treble winners Manchester United. This wish was not granted, though, as he was later moved on to Tottenham as part of the deal that saw Dimitar Berbatov move to Old Trafford. So let's look at some of our worst loan signings now. Adam? Yeah, well, I mentioned our Nottingham had some really good ones. The Vigley had some absolutely terrible ones. So I was going to read out some names to start with. Uh, Chris Iwalumo, Nathan Thomas, Sean Shields, Leroy Leiter, Gary McKenzie, Andrew Boyce, Carl Regan. Just dreadful, really bad footballers. But the one I'm actually going to pick out and tell you a little bit about is a former Everton winger by the name of Femi Orinuga. You can now find him playing for Australian side Peninsula Strikers who are in the Victorian State League Division 2. And according to his LinkedIn page, which is the only social media I can find for him, he um, claims to have made, made history in the world of football. I was South United's youngest ever player to make an FA Cup appearance at the age of 15. And then he went to Everton, played for Everton's under-21. He played one game for Notts County. Um, and we basically, as we did with a lot of players, we absolutely ruined him. He had one taste of real football, and then everyone realised that he wasn't very good. And he was an awful player. I don't think he even touched the ball, to be fair, but really, really bad. Just a bad footballer. Don't know how Everton ever managed to get him. And we had a lot in that season. This was, this was the year he went down from League One, where we had, all together in that season, we used 47 different players in that, in that season. I think about 20 of them were loans. He was one of many. So it's a bit harsh then to pick him out against all the others, but he was a really bad player. So we've heard about the good bits of Borough's 14-15 season, but I think we need to take a look at the negatives as well. Not only the Wembley playoff final defeat, but was also the two appearances of Dwight T and Darling. He started in the 2-0 defeat at Watford in one of the worst individual displays I've ever seen. Um, and he never made another appearance for, for us apart from that, apart from the last day 0-0 draw at home to Brighton, where we were resting players for the playoffs. I'm going to jump in there. Uh, my pick was also Dwight T and Daly. That just shows how <laughs> horrific he was. We've had a lot of loan signings, Borough. And honestly, he was horrific. So bad. He, to call him a def- himself a defender is the most ridiculous statement I've ever seen. He was absolutely woeful. And honestly, like, yeah, Sam, I completely agree. After his spell at Borough, he didn't have a club for another two years. That's how bad people were put off him after that display. And then he signed for Oxford United and then retired after that season because no one wanted to sign him. Let's hope Dwight DNT and Darley don't listen to this. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> so as I mentioned before, Wednesday had a lot of loan signings. I, I didn't say if they were good or bad. Most of them are definitely bad. Um, I, could have, I, I, think, I genuinely think I could have named 70 70 in the last 10 years, to be honest. We've had that many and a lot of them have not worked out. But I picked a few of the special mentions here. And Starting off with Jacob Butterfield, a man that I really despise um, just because it was a terrible deal with Stan Winnell going on loan the other way and he was one of the worst footballers I've ever seen. I've never seen a man not be able to take a corner with either foot. He was, he was told that he was two-footed, but I think he's, he's no-footed, to be honest. Um, David Bates, last season, a man that you won't have heard much about. That's because he played one game in the Carabao Cup against Rotherham United, never to be seen again. Uh, I believe he's gone to Belgium now on loan from Hamburg. Uh, Will Buckley in the 16-17 season. Uh, Hallam Hope and Gary Taylor-Fletcher in the 14-15 season. You actually played Gary Taylor-Fletcher on the wing, along with Hallam Hope on the wing. So that was fun to watch, obviously. Um, 
Jordan Spence in the 13-14 season. I genuinely don't even know what he's doing now. He's probably playing somewhere terrible. And uh, and then a strike partnership in the tw- in the 2012-13 season of Jay Boffroyd and Mamadi Sidibe. I don't think anything beats that, apart from this striker that I'm going to mention now, because I could I genuinely couldn't pick an actual terrible footballer. So I picked one that is terrible now, and that's Jordan Rhodes. Yes, alone wasn't too bad because I imagine he was only covering his wages. But the 10 million reported future fee is quite <laughs> literally ruined my football club. 12 goals in 73 championship games. Again, I could have picked players with worse records, but for the man that was meant to be our answer to, or the key to the Premier League for us, it's not gone down well. And ironically, the best thing that he's done since joining was when he scored a late winner at Bramall Lane and celebrated in front of the cop, but for Norwich City. I hope Jordan Rhodes doesn't listen to this. That's our title. Jordan Rhodes ruined my football club. <laughs> <laughs> he gets done for defamation because of that. He's so nasty. He's a oh. lovely guy as well. Yeah, he's, I know he, he is. He writes letters to kids and everything. Yeah. Oh. He's the nicest player in our team, but but he, but he it's not his fault really, is we paid ten million for his our stupid fault. But it's his fault that he's it, not been very good at Cameron. It, yeah, well, yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah. He scored a hat trick for you last season, didn't he? Yeah, Forrest, didn't he, wasn't it? Forrest, yeah. Uh, Overhead yeah, kick was... as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was his only three goals in the season. <laughs> well, how many have you scored? If you're only going to score three, though, it's the best way to do it. To be fair, I was going to say as many as he scored this season, but he's actually scored one this season against Cardiff. <laughs> I'm going to go for a, another Hull one, and I hope some of you know who this is, but I'm going with Rowan Vine. He joined Hull in 2010 on loan from Neil Warnock's QPR and he made just five appearances, none of which I can actually remember. I solely picked this one just so I could list the clubs he's played for since playing for Hull. Right, are you ready, boys? <laughs> Brentford, MK Dons, Exeter, Gillingham, St. Johnston, Hiss, Greenock Morton, Welling United, Haven and Waterlooville, Gosport Borough, Basingstoke Town, Gosport Borough again, South Hall, Hayes and Yedden United, Hartley, Wintney, Gosport Borough again, Islesford Town, Hartley Wintney again, Southall again, Moneyfield, Padley Caliver, and now he's at Hemel Hempstead Town. It's fair to say that Brewing Vine has had some career, but he's not very good. That is all for this week. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Rematch Podcast to send us your opinions, and also make sure to follow us on Spotify and iTunes so you can get notified when we release the next episode of the Rematch Podcast. <laughs>